0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And we are in another classic episode, folks. This episode originally published May 12th, 2014. It is the third part of our HBO story, the conclusion At that point of the HBO story, obviously, again, a lot of stuff has happened since then. So at some point, I will need to do a big update. In fact, if you think that that's a good idea, let me know on Twitter. Uh, I usually save this for the end, but on Twitter, we use the handle techstuffhsw. So if you ever have a suggestion, send it my way through there. But now let's go back and listen to this classic episode, the HBO story part three. So July 25th, 1989, Time Incorporated acquires a 59.3% stake in a little company called Warner Communications Incorporated.
1: Uh, Thus creating Time Warner Incorporated.
0: Yep, the largest media and entertainment company in
1: the world.
0: And the following year, Time Incorporated would acquire the remainder of Warner Communications, making it a fully integrated company. So now it's... Even larger media giant, HBO is still a, a big player in that no- enormous corporation. In that same year, 1989, HBO would launch HBO Selecciones en Español, later renamed HBO Español, and then later renamed HBO Latino. So, you may have guessed, this is a channel that offered in parallel with HBO for certain Spanish-speaking markets, about 20 initially, and took advantage of something called the Secondary Audio Program, or SAP, to replace the English-speaking track with a Spanish-speaking one. And it was a big success, so much so that other markets began to add this to their service.
1: And so much so that eventually they would start producing their own original content for those markets.
0: Right, so instead of just, say, taking an HBO original that was done in English and redubbing it, they actually made their own award-winning HBO originals. So you could, if you were a Spanish-speaking person, watch these and and really appreciate that same sort of uh, approach HBO had to making uh entertainment in English-speaking countries for Spanish-speaking ones. Now, th- this was still in the United States. HBO has not branched out into other countries as mm-hmm. of yet. So this was for Spanish-speaking populations within the U.S., which, you know, stirred up some cultural issues in certain markets with people who might not be as um progressive in some ways. Let's to be really diplomatic about it but at any rate it was a, a a bold move and it paid off and then HBO helped roll out another channel they were uh, behind the development of the comedy channel so their idea was to create a special channel specifically catering to comedy they had seen successes in other fields.
1: Uh, right. And their, and their comedy specials were doing so well.
0: Yeah. So they're thinking, wait, we know comedy. We know comedy. We, we are the, the people who give comedians that, that, that cachet of, I've got an HBO special. I've made it in the business. So so let's 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 capitalize on that. Let's
1: take clips from those specials and from movies and just toss them up on the air. And and
0: let's not provide context for them because that would be too complicated. Let's just let's just like clip the jokes out of their context. And they're going to be just as funny standing on their own as they would be within the uh incorporation of whatever set up there was around that joke right
1: you know actually this sounds a lot like youtube this was forward thinking this was ahead of its time yeah
0: see that they were trying to follow the model of mtv Uh uh-huh you know they wanted to do what mtv did with music videos they wanted to do with comedy clips but
1: uh it failed pretty wildly yeah see it just just was one of those things
0: where unless you had that extra context you couldn't truly appreciate the joke for what it was you might find it amusing but you wouldn't necessarily find it hilarious.
1: Right. Um, meanwhile, Viacom launched a rival channel named Ha! With yeah. an exclamation point, nonetheless. Yeah. Which was uh, e- even
0: worse than, yes. than, than the comedy channel.
1: Uh, however, they merged these two terrible things together in 1991 to create the Comedy Network, which eventually became Comedy Central, Yep, as we all know and love.
0: Right. And so uh, it's interesting to me because one of the things that did happen that helped differentiate the comedy channel from Ha! I didn't put this in our notes. But the Comedy Channel was the channel that started carrying a certain Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, and in fact, I remember that, uh, if you've ever read any of the MST3K histories, they talk about how whenever they told people we're on the Comedy Channel, the response was, Oh, you mean, ha? Huh? Oh,
1: so, no. No.
0: No, the other, the other Comedy <laughs> the, the Channel. The
1: one that's called the, oh, yeah. Know.
0: So there was some confusion in the marketplace until those two finally kind of merged into its own unit. But 1989 was also when a certain HBO original series premiered, uh, one that had a uh, a lasting impression on my childhood. Uh, me as
1: well, Tales from the Crypt.
0: Yep, with the Crypt Keeper. Uh, so this was HBO's second attempt at I... making a horror anthology series.
1: Uh, yeah, the first one was The Hitchhiker, which nobody cares about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I watched it that as a kid too. I mean, I grew up during this era, so I watched The Hitchhiker. Oh, but, but
1: Tales from the Crypt was—I mean, I just—I just, I just want to give the Crypt Keeper a hug.
0: The only thing I have to say about Tales from the Crypt is uh, it really is unfortunate that their very best episode was also the first episode. It was all downhill after that. The Man Who Was Death. Phenomenal episode about a crazy uh, executioner who really loses his marbles when the state he's working in outlaws uh, uh, capital punishment. Uh, great episode. Great music for that episode. Not particularly scary, but uh, really well done. Um, and uh, sadly, I do not believe any of the subsequent episodes quite lived up to it. Even the one that had Tim Curry starring as like four different characters in the single episode. I watched this a lot. <laughs> 1989 also saw the premiere of uh, uh, the series Dream On, which was, you know, a, a comedy series following a, a, a divorced guy who was trying to kind of find his place and find love. And um, interesting that. The, the show itself was, was pretty amusing. Often it had raunchy situations, a lot of gratuitous nudity, both in Tales from the Crypt and Dream On, partially because they could get away with it. Like, this is HBO, so they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not, they don't, they're not
1: beholden to the the same same standards as mm -hmm. over
0: the air TV, so. And
1: especially if they air later on at night, they're not going to get that many complaints from parent groups.
0: Right. So this was one of those things where, Because they were able to do it, they were encouraged to do it, even if that wasn't in their plan when they were making a a, a show pitch that ended up being kind of a directive handed down saying, look, guys, throw in some nudity and some violence in there because because why
1: not? Well, I mean, that's also part of the point of Tales from the Crypt, I think, from the beginning is that it was very much one of those old schlock. Uh, B-movie kind of throwbacks. And... Well, yeah, and
0: very much like the Twilight Zone, the sort of idea of the karma coming back and haunting you. Cause it was usually about really awful people doing really awful things and then having really awful things happen to them as a consequence.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, sometimes it was not such an awful person and really awful things would happen <laughs> to them, but it was a general, general rule. Uh, whereas with Dream On, it was like lots of, uh, cringe humor and and some other stuff. There's some great moments in that. I remember when David Bowie showed up and uh, he was phenomenal on Dream On. Yeah, see, I, I watched a lot of HBO when I was a kid. 1991, HBO rolls out HBO 2, which was later named HBO Plus. So HBO 2 is a complimentary platform. It essentially has the same sort of stuff that HBO has, but a different schedule uh, made possible by this signal compression, which allows you to put multiple channels on a single transmission line. Now this was a big deal because cable operators didn't want to yield up channels, multiple channels to one provider.
1: Uh, right. They only had so much bandwidth to, to, to provide. And yeah. so therefore, if you only, for example, have, uh, have 40 spots to put right. stuff in, uh, you know, having, giving one channel two spots is a big deal.
0: Right. Exactly. When you could be, uh, increasing the variety that you're offering your potential customers, right?
1: Uh, sure. And especially at the time, I want to mention everyone did not have like, seven hundred and twenty eight channels.
0: Right. That's what signal compression made possible, because you could actually put multiple channels across one transmission line by compressing the signal of each one and multiplexing them. So with uh, HBO, that meant that they could eventually start creating uh, targeted HBOs that would m- be marketed more toward a specific audience. So you might have one that has more action movies, for example. Mm-hmm.
1: And one with more comedy content.
0: Or one with more kid-friendly stuff. I mean, like, once again, like this gave them the option of doing that without having to put in as big an investment as something like Festival or Take Two was back in the other episodes you heard us talk about. Those failed. Uh, attempts at making this kind of approach. But now the technology existed for them to do it. Also in 1991, HBO finally broke into Europe. Not physically, not like, you know, illegally. They actually made a foothold in Europe, in Hungary. Uh They had the Hungarian cable system called Cablecom. That's with K's. Oh, yeah. For both the cable and the com. And that was partly uh backed by Time Warner. So this system, again, did not use the satellite system that was common in the United States. They didn't worry about getting a de- geostationary satellite in orbit above Hungary. They instead made microwave transmission towers to get the signal out to cable operators.
1: Returning to that older technology, which, I mean, was, was less expensive overall. It was considered too expensive to to put up a satellite for all of Europe when you've got so many languages in such a small area to work with.
0: Right. It was not a practical approach in the case of Europe. I mean, if... If everyone in Europe spoke the same language, then it would be a different story. But with all the different languages and cultures, it meant that HBO had very different products for each country that it started to get into. In fact, that's a a story that happens over and over. It's repeated over and over in HBO's history where they would tailor make the experience for whatever market they were going into. But that meant the microwave transmission approach made way more sense than satellite so they start over there, over in, in uh, Europe, and then they start creeping into some other markets, about 15 more European markets eventually.
1: Uh, meanwhile, that year, they also launched in Central and South America. Yep. Much easier to
0: do, as it turns out, uh, because Central and South America, with the exception of Brazil, share a common language for the most part. So they had Spanish speaking language uh, uh, channels that just broadcast by satellite over South America and Central America. Uh, The new channel was called uh, HBO Olay. I'm surprised they didn't go with HBO Olay, honestly. Don't look at me, I'm not the one who named it. I'm just (laughs) saying I'm surprised they didn't, they didn't do it that way. Um, yeah, it was available in countries in Central America, South America, and the Caribbean. I, I I don't know how I feel about this HBO Olay thing. Uh, I guess probably. Other folks aren't upset by it. It just seems a little culturally insensitive to me. It seems,
1: yeah. that's. But
0: anyway, 1992, HBO gets a coup with the Larry Sanders show starring Gary Shandling. And you might say, well, how is that a coup? Well... Gary Shandling had really made a, a big success in the 80s and early 90s with another show called It's Gary Shandling's Show, which was a, a send up of sitcoms and uh-huh. that aired on a different station
1: on Showtime. So a direct competitor to HBO. Yeah.
0: So Gary Shandling gets gets uh, notoriety through Showtime and the It's Gary Shandling show, which, by the way, I thought was hilarious and then moves over to HBO for what you could argue was an even better show. The Larry Sanders show was more of a send up of late night television talk shows, like things like The Tonight Show or, uh, uh, late night type shows, those kind of things, uh, with the character of Larry Sanders played by Gary Shandling as this very vain, very, uh, petty host. And it was supposed to show you kind of the backstage stuff that happens on these shows where on on camera everyone's really friendly and interested in each other you know the host has to be engaged with the guest but then when the but cameras off camera. go off they become nasty petty terrible people uh and it was a pretty amusing show this is also the year when HBO launched another series called Real Sex which was a magazine format show about sexual matters and had a very frank uh open-minded approach They
1: it it was a little bit documentary in style and um, they
0: covered some pretty like some things that could have easily been sensationalized or trivialized or 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 portrayed in such a a way as to say, aren't these people unusual?
1: uh, But but for the most part, it was it was pretty welcoming of of the unusual, which was which was really nice for 1992. Actually, I mean, and I'm not saying that it wasn't I mean, you know, they, they, they were putting it on the air I think, largely because sex sex yeah, sells it's exactly. Great. Same uh, reason
0: why they had so many so much gratuitous nudity on oh, sure. Dream On, you yeah. know? But, but but at the same time, the uh, uh, Michael Fuchs, you know, the CEO of, of HBO said, look, this series is what's giving us the money to fund all the documentaries that you guys love. And we're trying to deal with this frank subject matter in a way that's respectful, mm-hmm. which could have easily gone a different way. So, yeah, uh also uh then 1993, HBO expands yet again. See, now they're entering into a new era of expansion where they're getting new customers. They're not able to invent new customers in the United States. Uh, You know, people do that on their own, but they're not able to create a new market. So what they did was they started to expand in other parts of the world. So in 1993, they launched HBO Asia, which initially serviced the Philippines and Thailand. But eventually through multiplexing, the service would be available in uh, several Asian languages and spread to 23 nations. I think Mandarin Chinese was probably their biggest uh, 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 bet on that one.
1: I would imagine Enormous so.
0: Enormous population in China. So. Oh,
1: yes. Uh, then in 1994, uh, HBO Olay yeah, God, that's cringeworthy. I know. Um, they, Told you. They, they they launched a, a second channel in Central and South America, um, as well as a Portuguese language channel in Brazil.
0: Yep. So uh, once again, expanding in other markets. And in 1995, Michael Fuchs gets promoted to overseeing all of Warner Music. And Jeff Bukes, who we mentioned in the previous episode, steps up as the new head of HBO. And in 1997, we get the premiere of one of... I would say a predecessor to the really big breakout hits of HBO original programming. Oh,
1: it was the first hour-long drama series produced for HBO, and yeah. that was Oz.
0: Yes, which of course was the drama series about a, uh, a maximum security prison and the shenanigans that go on inside.
1: I sh- shenanigans is maybe a, a... Shanking,
0: lots of, lots of, uh...
1: Yeah, and I never watched the series myself, but, but I, I've heard many colorful things about it.
0: Yeah, it was, um, it was rough. It was a rough series. Uh, but again, it was one of those things that HBO did because, one, they knew there was going to be a market for it. And two, no one else could really do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have the money for it and they couldn't do it on broadcast television oh, or basic not. cable.
1: No.
0: So uh, that ended up getting uh, some notice, but it wasn't a breakaway hit yet. In 1998, HBO produces a miniseries called From, From the Earth to the Moon, which was a big budget miniseries. It was produced by Tom Hanks and Ron Howard. Tom Hanks did not star in it. He was just a producer behind the camera, Uh, mostly starred actors who were not recognizable to most of the audience. And that was on purpose. It was to be able to put the focus on the drama of the story and to recreate the time of the story without distracting by saying, oh, it's such and such from so and so. Uh,
1: Also to lower the costs a little bit, I imagine.
0: Probably also a, a factor. So this particular model would end up serving as an example for future miniseries that HBO would produce, including things like Band of Brothers or John Adams. Uh, There was another one called Generation Kill, which probably is not as well known as those two, but other ones as well. So this was uh, an approach to producing miniseries, which HBO had not really done. It tried a couple in the early 80s, but in general had stayed away from miniseries and had only been producing, you know, open-ended series where Sure. You run it season after season until you get tired and you stop doing it.
1: <laughs> uh, one, one of those that, that happened that began in 1998 was Sex in the City. It debuted that year and, and as we all know, became pretty wildly successful.
0: Yeah, spawned two films. I mean, it was a big, big hit. Lots of people either loved it or hated it or loved to hate it. Uh,
1: that, that was my, that the, was my love to that, hate it.
0: Yeah. I never ever watched it. I, my knowledge of Sex, uh, Sex in the City was, Based solely upon other people's conversations. And just I, like I was aware of it culturally, but I never watched the show. And, uh, I got the feeling that I probably, it probably I'm not the right audience for that particular.
1: I'm, I'm not, show. I'm not either. I, uh, a fellow that I dated loved it and, <laughs> and made me watch the entire thing.
0: So I hear past tense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, Delightful
0: fellow. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair, fair enough. Alright, well anyway, Sex and the City, uh, Sex and the City, I should say, ends up being one, the first of the big three, uh, breakaway hits of HBO Originals. We've got a lot more to say about HBO, but before we can do that, let's take a quick break. It's 1999. It's the year after Sex and the City debuts and gives HBO its first real, incredible, popular hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: 1999,
0: HBO ends up debuting another original series that kind of sets the tone for what HBO original programming is all about, uh, at least for several series that follow behind The Sopranos. Obviously, one of the most important series in HBO history. Not only that, but in cable history, because The Sopranos was critically acclaimed it was not just successful the critics loved it and it would win emmys in 2004 and 2007 it was nominated for emmys every single year that it was eligible to do so cuz remember the sopranos was one of those shows that would go on the hiatus for more than a year uh-huh,
1: uh-huh, but it would come back it would garner more than it would garner 111 nominations over the span of its life so this was a
0: cable show winning an emmy now that's a big deal because for a while cable television was looked down on, like it was looked as something that was always pretending to be as good as broadcast TV. And so the Emmys were for broadcast television. That's uh-huh. where the quality programming was.
1: And and furthermore, something that might be a uh, CD or, or a little bit patronizing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but with with something as, as hard hitting and dramatic and and beautiful as The Sopranos, it was a hit.
0: Yeah. So we started to see cable shows being taken seriously. They no longer needed to have their own little uh, uh, award ceremony. The Ace Cable Awards were were around back in the day, where because they weren't really eligible for the Emmys, they were only eligible for for Ace Cable nominations. The Sopranos definitely knocked that door wide open by consistently being one of the most nominated shows while it was on the air. So it really did change the entertainment industry. It's yet another reason why we talked so much about HBO, because, again, had this huge effect on how things happened following, you know, the, the stuff that HBO would try, whether it was successful or not, it would end up impacting the rest of the industry and other industries as well. So then in 2000, we get the third of the big three. We've already got Sex in the City. We've already got The Sopranos. So what comes next?
1: Six Feet Under.
0: Yeah, this was a show about two brothers who inherit their father's funeral service uh, business after their father passes away. And it was a weird series. It's one of those series that's really difficult to describe to someone who's never seen it because there were episodes where there's stuff that happened that was pretty funny. There were stuff that happened that was really tragic. There was stuff that happened where you felt like there would be no scenery left unchewed. I mean, it was you couldn't easily sum it up. It
1: runs the whole range. Yeah.
0: So it was one of those that uh, ended up, again, being wildly successful. So that's why you've got the big three. And Oz was not part of the big three because even though it was uh, fairly popular and fairly well uh, critically acclaimed, it never reached that same level of popularity as the other the other three.
1: I think it was a little bit less uh, palatable to a very large market.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's another big show we'll be talking about briefly that had a similar issue that it appealed to one particular market really, really well and other markets not so well. So 2002, we have Jeff Bukes getting promoted to President and Chief Operating Officer of Time Warner. So now he has left HBO and joined the, you know, the, not left it, but he's now the head of the parent company. And so Chris Albrecht takes Bukes's place as head of HBO. And Albrecht would end up struggling a bit. He was very big on taking chances, and he launched a lot of different programs on HBO. But he was really trying to aim to, to continue this momentum of the big three to make another series that was just as uh, impactful and compelling as those. And as it turns out, that's really hard to do. Sometimes you're just lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, you just strike on the right formula that just happens to resonate with the audience. Uh, and so even though they produced a lot of different shows and many of them were really good ones, they didn't really hit the popularity of the big three. And so HBO was kind of kind of floundering a little bit, you know, trying lots of different stuff and occasionally uh, launching something really uh, ambitious and then pulling the plug when realizing that, okay, this is this isn't that it wasn't
1: making them as much money as they thought it would have been Uh, in 2003. A show like that launched. It was called Carnival, which I personally love. So much, it's really important. It's got the Kurgan in it, so I mean, you can't really go wrong.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, the Kurgan. Uh, yeah, as as of course his philosophy, we should all remember: it's better to burn out than fade away.
1: Thank you, thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, and so it, it had excellent critical reception. It it got five Emmys among fifteen nominations over the two seasons that it was on the air, which is pretty incredible. um But it was also costing the company two million dollars per episode. And, um yeah, it, it's the first in this whole range of series that, that HBO, HBO would, really, would really... start pursuing. Um, but also that year, Time Warner sold its stake in Comedy Central to Viacom for $1.23 billion. Yep.
0: So now uh, Time Warner is out of the the comedy biz as far as Comedy Central is concerned. But mm-hmm. is still, of course, uh, HBO is still very much known for its comedy specials. And then in 2004, we get an amazing comedy, Deadwood. A silly little show about cowboys
1: uh De- deadwood was plenty funny, um yeah,
0: I guess if you found uh if you found if you found the multiple uses of certain incredibly blue phrases to be amusing
1: i I did
0: yeah well no I can't blame you i I've only ever seen two episodes and they weren't connected to each other, but they were both fascinating and so it it's one of those things where I really wish I had been able to watch the whole series and just stick around, folks because I'm about to get excited toward the end of this podcast. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a Shakespearean Western. The language was very much inspired by Shakespeare. Now, I'm a Shakespearean scholar, so, and I love Westerns, so both of these things appeal to me. But it's a absolutely filthy Shakespearean, uh, Well, but,
1: Shakespeare is absolutely filthy, just, just word the words don't mean the same thing anymore. That's
0: fair. So, yeah, uh, then they also launched in 2004 Entourage, which was a show about making fun of the Hollywood lifestyle and trying to break into Hollywood. Uh, and and being a hanger-on to someone who has m- met with some meager success. Uh, it has fewer foul mouth cowboys in it, uh, but Albrecht really struggled to get another big hit like The Sopranos, and most of the shows that he produced were either critically acclaimed but sparsely watched, or they were just outright panned. So a couple of the ones that didn't do well at all were uh, with titles like K Street and Unscripted, and uh, that's two series that most people don't talk about anymore. Then there was also Louis C.K.'s, Lucky Louie sitcom, which didn't do very well either. Um, uh, it, of course, would pave the way for the actual series Louie, which is not on HBO, but the, this earlier attempt was not a success. Now, Deadwood lasted three seasons and then was very quietly killed off because HBO didn't want to make a big deal out of ending Deadwood. I mean, their, their whole, like, corporate, uh, uh, identity was that, we produce shows that other people cannot or will not do. We have that money. We have that flexibility. We have the, the customers who want it. So we're going to do it.
1: Well, and then they realized, oh, we might not actually have that much money.
0: Yeah. Deadwood, as it turns out, another very expensive the staging show. Staging a period
1: costume drama. Yeah. Um, with really big actors. And is... yeah,
0: really big actors, really, really expensive set pieces. And I mean, it was a very ambitious show that cost a lot of money. Meanwhile, They also had The Wire, which had an even smaller audience than Deadwood did, but The Wire was less expensive to produce and was also critically acclaimed.
1: Yeah, it was, it was still very much critically acclaimed.
0: So if you've got two series and you've got one that's really expensive and is critically acclaimed, but only seems to be attracting mostly a male uh, audience because men uh, tend to like westerns and women tend not to. Those are just. General trends, obviously not descriptive of everyone everywhere. So don't write me and tell me how you are uh, a woman who loves Westerns and that I'm wrong.
1: I actually wonder how the numbers on Deadwood shook out. I Now I need to research this.
0: Well, at any rate, they weren't good enough for HBO. So they wanted to very quietly kind of back off. And they had originally said that they were thinking about doing four seasons. They actually only did three. Um, they said that they were going to do two movies to follow up and tie up all the loose ends, which had never, never have Never, produced. never have happened. They haven't surfaced. So pretty sure that that ship has sailed to mix some cowboy pirate metaphors. <laughs> uh, but but the wire they kept going because it was critically it was acclaimed cheap. and cheap. Yeah. So this way they got the benefit of having a critically acclaimed television show on their network. But it wasn't a huge financial loss. To the company, it was
1: and uh, to be fair, involved fewer contrasting plaids, which I know not everybody appreciates to the level that I do.
0: Now you obviously haven't watched The Wire season, too. Contrasting plaids was the subtitle of that season. <laughs> I just made all that up. Uh, but yeah, so so that's you know, they wanted to have the benefit of having this kind of critically acclaimed programming on their channel, but obviously not have the albatross of an incredibly expensive production Around the corporate neck,
1: uh, yeah, which is why in 2005 they started Rome.
0: <laughs> okay, so clearly they did not. Maybe they learned from their mistakes, and that's how they were able to repeat them almost exactly.
1: Huh. well, I, I think that they learned those. I think that they made those mistakes after Rome had already premiered. Uh, that they were still in that excited, let's do everything we want to do phase yeah. in 2005 with Rome. Um, but and, but it was also very expensive. Yeah, hard to get viewers into it. They
0: did. They canceled it after two seasons. Now, of course, originally they had talked about just it being a mini series where it would have only have been uh, something like 12 episodes. But then they said that it would come back for a second season. And sometime in that second season, they're like, whoops, okay, let's just let this (laughs) quietly die, too. And there's only so many times you can watch someone fall out of a toga, I guess. Uh, Yeah. By the way, still in that era of, hey, we can get away with it because we're on we're a paid television station. So let's create content. There's lots of gratuitous violence and or nudity. Rome had plenty of both. Oh, yeah. All right, home stretch for this part of HBO's history. Before we can get to that, let's take another quick break. 2007. uh, In November of 2007, a major event happened that affected all all television channels everywhere Mm -hmm. because at least in the United States.
1: Well, all television channels that were producing original content.
0: Yeah. Because uh, that's when the Writers Guild of America had a strike. Right. Yeah. Animation was fine because they weren't in the Writers Guild. I knew a lot of animators who were grumbling about this, but uh, the Writers Guild of America uh, had a strike. And so HBO had banked a lot of stuff that helped them kind of coast through the Writers Strike without too much trouble. They had, uh, the miniseries John Adams that helped them get through it. They had another season of The Wire that helped them get through it. Uh, but HBO did not get through 2007 without some major trouble. For example, Chris Albrecht, the head of HBO, was arrested following a physical altercation. Uh, it was actually he was arrested because he... Uh, physically threatened his girlfriend at the time.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, That's it, not good. And apparently it wasn't his first offense either.
0: Yeah. And Time Warner uh, called for his resignation. Actually, I read the the letter he wrote, Albrecht wrote, where he was very frank and admitted guilt and said, I thought I had put these problems behind me. I was a I was an alcoholic. I went to Alcoholics oh, Anonymous wow. two years ago. I thought, you know, I can handle drinking alcohol. And clearly I was wrong. So he was very much admitting his fault in it. Uh, so at least there's that. I mean, it's still a terrible, terrible thing, but, um, he didn't deny it. So I guess that's something. So Time Warner now is saying, all right, well, what are we going to do with HBO? Who's going to lead it? There was not a specific person that they could point to and say, this is the, the, the person upon whose, sh- whose shoulders HBO should rest. Mm-hmm. So they ended up picking three people to kind of divide up the, the entire, job of uh, ruling this kingdom,
1: all of whom had been working for HBO since the 1980s. Yep.
0: Uh, You had Bill Nelson, who became the CEO of HBO. Eric Kessler became one of the co-presidents, and the other was Richard Plepler. And uh, yeah, they they all had experience. Uh, Richard Plepler did not have any experience in programming going into it, but would turn out to have some very keen ideas on where to go. Because remember, this is still when HBO is trying to recapture the glory of the big three and try and find another. Another uh, uh, original series that they can they can really be proud of and they can that can carry the company. So at around the same time in 2007, a little upstart company called Netflix, which had been in business for a few years, announced that it was going to create a streaming service, an online streaming service.
1: All oh, right. They had already been um, offering DVDs via mail. But yep. at this point, they started. Offering streaming.
0: Yep. So uh, this becomes another competitor to HBO because HBO now they still have as part of their business, this idea of uh, uncensored, uncut movies that you can watch. But with Netflix streaming, at you can least watch
1: them whenever you want. Yeah.
0: To. Assuming assuming that the title is in their library, which we all know is a huge assumption.
1: Huh. And, and and furthermore, uh, they obviously at that time were not making their own original content.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Netflix was pretty much beholden to whatever uh, studios were producing content at that time. But yeah, this was another uh, another competitor. And it was outside the cable industry. Everyone got a little nervous at this point, mm-hmm. including HBO.
1: Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, speaking of that original content, however, in 2008, HBO debuted True Blood, um, which was really its first it's first big hit since those big three.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This one was a huge hit. It was extremely popular. Uh, you can debate upon whether or not it merits that. I know there <laughs> are such debates. I never watched the series, so I can't comment one way or the oh, other. It's
1: it's terrible. I love it. Yeah. Well, OK. I mean, you know, terrible
0: things have their place in this world. Uh Then other shows such as Boardwalk Empire, The Newsroom and Veep followed. So these were shows that didn't necessarily have the same following as the big three, but again, were critically acclaimed, seemed to be popular among the audiences that really love these shows. Um, and then you started seeing a couple of uh, major breakthrough hits that, that followed. So uh, stuff, got stuff that like big three.
1: Yeah, yeah. Stuff like Girls and uh, Game of Thrones.
0: I can't do any more because they'll they'll take us down. Uh Yeah, no. Game of Thrones. Big, big hit, obviously, for HBO.
1: Um, um i don't
0: have hbo by the way this is where i i mention i don't own hbo uh but i read all the books so you can't spoil me
1: suckers.
0: yeah you can tell me about stuff that happened in the show but didn't happen in the books but here's the thing i don't care because i read the books so to me that's the story so bring it is what i'm saying oh Ex- unless your name is george rr R. martin in which case do not bring it sir i will be happy to read it when you publish it or and take it... your time take your time <laughs> sir as long as you need
1: yeah no 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 no. As as neil gaiman once said George R. R. Martin is not your bitch. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then Paul and Storm sang a song, and then George R. R. Martin came out and broke their their guitars. It's a great <laughs> great moment on YouTube. Look it up.
1: Uh, for for the record, I've also read the books. You cannot spoil me either.
0: Yes, that's a challenge. Unless you're George R. R. Martin, 2010. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't want him writing in and say, guess which Stark dies next.
1: I spoiler, totally want spoiler. it. I totally want him to do that. Actually, oh no! Oh, come on! It would be the best. Well,
0: then we could hold it over everyone else's head. George
1: R. R. Martin, if you're listening, please <laughs> write it. Spoil me, spoil Lauren.
0: We'd have to give him just your email address, and the one I give out at the end it goes to both of us, Lauren. This is this is irresponsible of you. All right, just, just send her a direct tweet. Okay, so in 2010. HBO launches HBO Go, which is its online streaming service for HBO subscribers, which allow HBO customers to watch content on demand for the first time.
1: Only three years after Netflix had already been doing the same thing.
0: And, of course, it's limited to just people who, well, theoretically, it's limited to just people who have an HBO subscription. So if you do not subscribe to cable and subscribe to HBO, you cannot access HBO Go legally. Right. I say legally because it is my understanding. And again, I do not do this is my understanding that some people occasionally will lend out their (laughs) logins to friends or family who do not have HBO so that they can watch things. In fact, that'll tie into uh, something we're going to talk about in just a moment. Now, yeah, we are. We're finally up to current day. So here's the thing. We don't have to take the Wayback Machine back to present day because we are in present day now. So the Wayback Machine so it's we with took. Us. Yeah. Now granted, we have been traveling through time for three episodes and it's gotten a little warm in this room. It's uh, kind of stanky. Yeah. Cause it, that's the problem with being in this Wayback Machine. It's like a quarter the size of our studio. So it's been a little, been a little, let's just go ahead and step out right now.
1: Oh. Okay. That's
0: better. Yeah. That's way better. All right. So we're all in right. present day. Now, first of all, uh, Game of Thrones, that, that series we'd mentioned just a couple of, uh, uh, points ago before we got off on our George R R Martin please spoil us brand <laughs> uh it it has turned out to be the most pirated show in the world uh almost 50% more people illegally downloaded the uh the Game of Thrones premiere for season 4 than the next closest rival which was The Walking Dead so 50% almost 50% more people and that shows that the show is incredibly popular and in fact in April 2014, Game of Thrones broke the record for most pirated episode within the first 24 hours of going live, with 1.17 million unique IP addresses torrenting the premiere of season four. So, that doesn't count all the people who used uh, someone else's HBO Go profile.
1: Okay, but 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 I but I want to say here uh, it's drawing some 17 million legit viewers per episode well legit or legit ish Um, you know you know again not not counting people who are stealing that password um but the thing is is that hbo officially does not care about that thing ceo richard pepler has said uh and i quote it's a terrific marketing vehicle for the next generation of viewers and also quote we're in the business of creating addicts
0: they've actually noticed that people have subscribed to hbo after pirating stuff, right, because they wanted to have access to this and they didn't want the problems of either uh, using someone else's HBO Go pass, which might crash because that's happened a couple of times. It happened on the premiere of season four. Right. Uh, too many people were trying to access the HBO Go network. And as a result, it crashed under the demand, which caused a lot of people to complain. I maintain that 90 percent of the people complaining were borrowing someone else's HBO Go pass. I think that's probably an accurate. I, I haven't done any research on this. This is based upon the people I saw on Twitter complaining. I'm like, you don't subscribe to HBO. <laughs> you're using someone else's pass
1: and you're complaining
0: that it doesn't work. Entitled much anyway uh, we're in the
1: business of creating addicts. It's yeah. working. It's working. Apparently
0: it works really well. Uh, so yeah, uh, it seems like it's going pretty well. Uh, let's see, I got some see some figures here you've got in this in this notes here, Lauren. Yeah,
1: they're they're doing pretty okay. They're they're operating at a thirty six percent profit margin of the some one point three billion dollars they rake in every year. Um, they currently have some one hundred and thirty million subscribers worldwide, and, and HBO, that their subscription base is growing faster than it has in the past seventeen years. Uh, To be fair, Netflix is growing even faster still and has surpassed HBO in the number of subscribers. It did so back in Q3 of 2013, Um, but Netflix's operating costs are a whole lot higher, being that it's... Still busy building its original content and uh, investing in all of those new markets.
0: And HBO recently made a partnership with a direct competitor to Netflix that could really shake things up. We're talking about Amazon Prime.
1: Yeah, yeah. They they announced a deal where Amazon is going to get to stream a bunch of HBO's original content. Yeah. Um, not all of it. I think yeah. that Game of Thrones and Sex and the City were both left out of the deal.
0: Yeah. Game of Thrones specifically, not surprising anyone no. is left out of the deal. Uh, yeah. But a lot of their older content in particular, things like The Sopranos and say Deadwood will be allowed to stream on Amazon Prime. So that got, that has me really excited because now I'll finally get to watch both those shows. I have not Aww. seen them. So to me, I mean, granted, I know. A lot about what happens in them because oh. just culturally you do.
1: Oh, sure, sure. But but that's not that's not really the point.
0: No, the performances and yeah. the execution uh, in literal senses in both <laughs> in both those shows. Yes. Are what will be really interesting to me because I've always heard so much about them. Now, I hope that uh, I'm able to go in with with managed expectations and not just, you know, super hyped, because obviously very few things live up to a uh, super hyped expectations. But I'm looking forward to seeing them. For Honestly, the first time.
1: Deadwood lived up to the hype for me.
0: I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it from the beginning because, like I said, I only saw two episodes completely out of context, and that was that was troubling.
1: Underage listeners, uh, these these shows are for mature audiences only or oh, immature. Ma- wait,
0: does that let let me out?
1: Immature <laughs> mature audiences. Oh, all right, uh-huh, yeah. So, on uh, <laughs> so 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 don't go don't don't go running out and watching this. Any Without these. your parents' guidance yeah, yeah, and permission. Uh huh. That or, that would you know, be, you know.
0: Don't don't be like Jonathan who was watching Tales from the Crypt when he was a little kid.
1: Eh, clearly, no damage was done to either of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We turned out completely normal. Right. Um, but at any rate, no, this, this entire Amazon deal, especially with Amazon expanding its empire to include that new Fire TV yep. gig, that, that $99 internet to TV device yep. streaming thing, um, could potentially mean a, a bit of a crunch for Netflix.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the next era, right? So, uh, I'm sure Netflix's response will be to go and invest even more in original programming. Cause again, you have to differentiate yourself. Um, they, you know, they've had some very famous issues with keeping films in their libraries mm-hmm. and licensing, licenses expiring. People get upset about that. The funny thing is that's the way it's worked ever since this whole pay TV model even started. I mean, HBO had the same issues where oh, sure. they would have a, a, a movie under license and then the license expires and they don't have access to that film anymore. That's why you're not going to see Star Wars all the time. It's only whenever the license comes up and they're allowed to show mm-hmm. it.
1: Also, as as we said in our streaming content episodes, Netflix's game plan right now is to, and, and I, I think this was the quote, become HBO before HBO can become us. Yeah. So...
0: So, the race is on yeah both both of them are are racing out of the gates, and uh we don 't know maybe they'll maybe there 'll be a photo finish, maybe we'll have two amazing content providers that we all enjoy, maybe one will come out on top we 'll have to wait and see, but yeah, it's been great getting a chance to talk about h b o and we know that we really went super in depth with this one, and that 's not normally what we do with our episodes. But in this case, because it had such an impact on the way cable television works today, and the reason we even have cable in our our cities, we felt that it it merited this kind of discussion. And that wraps up the HBO story as of May 12th, 2014. Like I've said multiple times, I'll probably have to go back, do an update, talk about what's happened since then. Um, But yeah, if there are any topics that you would like me to cover in the future, whether it's a company a trend in tech a specific technology and how it works or you know anything along those lines that is related to technology let me know you can do that as i said over on twitter the handle we use is tech stuff hsw and i'll talk to you again really soon